Hello everybody, this is a shear. We're going to try to attempt to give a quick rundown on the halakos of cleaning for Pesach, what needs to be done, what does not need to be done, um, and hopefully it should be helpful and useful. So just before we start, a short introduction, a short hakdama. What is the obligation to clean and what are we trying to achieve? So there's a Mishnah in the beginning of Mesech Tepsachim, on the Vezim and Aleph, the Mishnah tells us that on the night before Pesach, on the 14th of Nisan, there is an obligation to check the house for chametz. We look for chametz. Now, obviously, the idea is not just to look for chametz, it's to make sure that there is no chametz. If you do find chametz, you have to destroy that chametz and get rid of it. This is what's known in Halacha as the obligation to do biur, to destroy and get rid of chametz from our homes. Rashi explains why do we have an obligation to do so, because the Torah tells us that not only do we not have are we not allowed to eat chametz on Pesach? We're also not allowed to have chametz in our possession. Bal yiroe or bal It should not be seen. It should not be found in your possession. Any chametz. That's what we're looking for, and that's what we're searching and destroying when we do bedikas chametz. Now the Ramah already says in Shulchan Aruch that it's not practical to do all that on the night before Pesach, and therefore we have an obligation to start cleaning already before before then, a couple weeks before already to start cleaning for Pesach to get rid of all our chametz to make sure we don't have any chametz in our possession. As the famous joke goes, if men were in charge of cleaning for Pesach and women were in charge of building the sukkah, they would both start on Erev Pesach. Okay, now, that being said, Tosfis has a question. Tosfis asks a very important question. Tosfis, we know, the Gemara tells us on Davdalad Amabez that chametz is only an issue if it's a chametz that a Jew is somewhat connected to, meaning he owns it, he's responsible for it, but if a Jew is completely mevatel, he makes the chametz hefker and ownerless, he would not be transgressing the prohibition of having chametz in his possession because it's not his. The Torah says it has to be lo yirai and be seen to you, which we understand to mean that it means that it has to be somewhat connected to you. Ownerless chametz that's dumped in your property, you do not transgress the prohibition of having chametz in your shows on Pesach. To the point where we all, even after we do our bedikah, after checking for chametz, we all say the proclamation of which is we proclaim that any chametz that we forgot, that we couldn't find, should be ownerless like the dust of the earth. So the reason we do that is because that way we avoid in any chance of transgressing the the, the, the biblical derisive prohibition of having chametz. If so, Taisa says, why do we bother cleaning? Why did the rabbis make an obligation to check for chametz, to search for chametz? If either way, we have a very easy solution. The day of Erev Pesach, everyone get up and say, I pronounce all my chametz to be ownerless and hefker, and that's it, way easier than standing online by the car wash to clean out your car, way easier than spending a lot of time cleaning out your fridge. Why do we have to do the whole So, the Mishabura brings two answers to this question. Number one, since making something ownerless is something that's really, it's based on a person's mind, it's up to the person, and we're concerned that a lot of people might not really mean it. If a guy has chametz worth thousands of dollars and he says, look, I want this chametz to be ownerless, I don't care about it, it's hefker, and then another guy walks in and tries to take one of his bottles of whiskey, he may get a little upset. That shows us he didn't really mean it. He didn't really mean to make it ownerless. He doesn't really believe in what he's saying. And therefore, we can't rely on simply allowing a person to proclaim his things to be ownerless because they might not really mean it, and if they don't really mean it, they'll be transgressing the doraisa of owning chametz and Pesach. Another reason, the reason Tosfos gives, is because your right will be ownerless and you won't transgress the prohibition of having chametz in your property, 
but you will still transgress potentially the prohibition of eating chametz. How is that? If I'm walking through my kitchen and I have a choice between eating matzah or a box of entomins, now the entomins are not mine, they're ownerless, but still I can be very easily forget and grab the entomins instead of the matzah. So there's, a pro, there's always a chance that a person will come to eat the chametz instead, and that's why we have to get rid of the chametz out of our house. It's not sufficient to make it ownerless. That's why the rabbis made a separate mitzvah called Bior and Bedika, destroying and searching for chametz, to make sure that our house has no chametz in it. Now, we nowadays, we sell our chametz, so it's still technically in our, in, you know, located in our house, but it's not ours. Now, how that gets around these two problems, we'll hopefully talk about in this year, we talk about selling of chametz. But in the case of a person not, sell, not selling his chametz or any chametz he chooses not to sell, he has to make sure that it's out of his house and destroyed and not around for him to by mistake eat it or to not really mean that it's ownerless. Okay, so now we know what we're looking for. What we're looking for is chametz that a person might, so to speak, not be willing to give up on so fast, or chametz that a person may come to eat. Okay, so now, what do we actually have to clean, what do we have to destroy, and where do we have to look for it in halakha? So, there's really two different places in a person's home when it comes to this question. Let's divide into two places. There's the rest of the house, and then there's the kitchen. Let's start with the rest of the house. Now that we know that we're just trying to find stuff so that we don't transgress the prohibition of having chametz on Pesach, and to make sure that we don't come to eat it on Pesach, we understand that it's really only relevant to chametz, which has some significance. Tiny crumbs, the Gemara tells us, it's by definition a person doesn't care about them. So a person, when he's looking around the rest of his house, he's not out to find tiny crumbs of chametz. What he's looking to find is chametz that has some significance, that if he would see it on Pesach, he may come to eat it by mistake. For example, something around the size of a Cheerio. Okay? So when we're looking for chametz throughout the rest of the house, we're only really looking for chametz around the size of a cheerio. Anything else is negligible. No one's going to eat it. And usually, says Mr. Burra, it gets dirty. People, you know, as they clean their house throughout the year, those crumbs get sprayed on with different things. So that's not what we're really concerned about. What we're looking for is bigger pieces of chametz around the size of a cheerio. So a person goes through his toys, his kids' toys. A person goes through their closets, their, their, their shelves, whatever they're going through. They're looking for chametz around that size. They're not looking to scrub out every single shelf. There should be no tiny crumbs of chametz. Okay, now, where do I have to check for chametz? So the Mishnah tells us it's really only places that are machnisim b'chametz, places where a person logically can assume that chametz could have gotten to. Now, if you have a house full of, adult, of adults, so then it's a much smaller chance that anyone went and stuck a cookie in between the clothes that were folded on the shelf. If you have little kids in your home, chances are you have to check everywhere in your home because there is a very good chance that there's a little Oreo stash somewhere in your kid's bottom drawer. Who knows? So therefore, a person has to just kind of do a quick search through every spot of his house to make sure that there's no, you know, Cheerio-sized crumbs in those places. If it's a place which is above a kid's reach and there's really no chance the kid got there with chametz, then a person can assume he doesn't have to check over there because there's no reason to assume chametz got there. Okay, so it shouldn't take that long, technically, to clean it for chametz around the house, it's really just a matter of looking through and checking that there's no big pieces of chametz hanging around. Okay, now, let's get to the kitchen. The kitchen is a lot more sensitive. The reason is because in the kitchen, even tiny crumbs 
but they can get into your food. Now, there's a big difference between the rest of the year and Pesach. The rest of the year, a person has a bit of not kosher food fall into his pot of food. We say, as long as it's not more than a 60th, a shishim, it becomes negligible and the food's still kosher. With chametz, the rabbis made it much more stringent, and the rabbanon said that even a drop, even a mashu, does not become negligible on Pesach. Therefore, we're concerned. If we don't really scrub out our counters, and we don't scrub out our cabinets, a small crumb of chametz might get into our food, and therefore we'll make everything chametz thick, and we can't eat it. So therefore, when it comes to the kitchen, that's where we get a lot more careful, and we make sure to scrub everything down really well, that even there's no tiny crumbs of chametz remaining. Some people have the custom to cover the counters and cover the sorry, cover the cabinets and cover the shelves. But again, the idea is because you want to make sure that not even a crumb gets onto stuff, and sometimes it's hard to clean a cabinet that well. So they layer it and they put stuff down, contact paper or something on top, so that no crumbs of chametz get into it. It's not an obligation. It's a nice custom. And again, it's just you have to really know, practically you just have to know yourself and know your cabinets. Is it realistic to get it clean to the point where there's nothing left? Or it's not, if it's not, if it's not realistic, put down some contact paper. If you feel you can get it clean to the point where you're confident there's no comments left, you don't have to put contact paper down. Okay, now, when it comes to big heavy appliances, cleaning behind them, so it depends. If the appliance can come in and out simply, then you should take the appliance out, the oven, the fridge, roll it out, clean behind it, sweep behind it, get everything out. If it's a very heavy appliance which doesn't roll out simply, technically you do not have to clean behind it. But what we recommend is a person spray some kind of Windex, ammonia, whatever kind of nasty cleaner they have to make the food that may be stuck behind there inedible even to a dog so it's completely not considered food. And that way we won't be, won't be any prohibitions of owning or having comments in your property on Pesach. So that's in regards to cleaning the kitchen and cleaning the house. I hope it was clear. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me. Hopefully the next segment we'll be talking about the halachas of kashering. Be well.